Hello, welcome to the Unseen and Chapman podcast on The Athletic. As ever, we'll bring you exclusive insight from inside the game from David and writers from across The Athletic. Coming up today, the latest on football's attempts to resume in both the Premier League and the Football League. And Raf Honigstein joins us to reflect on the return of German football, while David will have updates on the future of a couple of Bundesliga stars heavily linked with moves to the Premier League. And just a reminder, now is a great time to subscribe to The Athletic and take advantage of the 90-day free trial. All you've got to do is go to www.theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman. www.theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman. We'll uh, give you that update on the Premier League and EFL later in the pod, but given that the Bundesliga came back this weekend, this is where we'll start. We'll talk to uh, Raf in just a moment. Uh, but uh, the current situation isn't stopping transfer rumours, is it, David? So let's talk about a couple of uh, the Bundesliga stars who have been linked for a very long time to moves to the Premier League, and that's Jadon Sancho and Timo Werner. Yeah, absolutely. And it does feel a bit strange talking about transfers at the moment when we're in the midst of a global health crisis with so much uncertainty over whether there'll be a transfer window. Well, I'm sure there will. When? Well, we don't quite know. And what clubs have to play with financially um, when they've got far more important things to worry about from an economic point of view. But trading will happen and and it has to because that's essentially how money is going to get flowing through the industry and and help some of these clubs get through, survive, exist, profit, etc. It's also an important time for, for many of the players as well because... Some are coming to the end of contracts. Some saw this summer as an ideal opportunity to move. Some things would have been lined up. Cutting to the chase, yeah. Timo Werner and Jaden Sancho, are who we wrote about on The Athletic on Saturday, two of the players who many people will have been tuning in to, to watch specifically. Uh, two of the star names. Werner, a bit more experienced at 24. Sancho, of course, just 20. Both who have had fantastic couple of seasons and have attracted interest from all over Europe. Interestingly, they've got pretty much the same clubs after them, the likes of, you know, uh, in, in no particular order, Real Madrid's and Barcelona's, uh, Manchester United's, Liverpool's, Chelsea's, etc. And that puts them in quite a strong position. But equally, as explained, it's such a difficult market that we, we don't know what will be possible this summer. And of course, this pandemic means that the chances of anything happening are reduced. It would be fascinating to see what develops over the coming months. What we do have is time. So that's uh, that's a, a factor that some clubs will be sort of uh, attracted by. Uh, but what exactly will happen, we're not so sure. And the details that you had on on Werner in particular Im- implied that he thinks he has time as well. And I'm not just talking about in the short term. I'm talking about long term as well. One of the uh, lines of the of the article is he might wait one more year to get the move that he wants. Yeah, I don't think it's so much him waiting. Uh as the situation might just have to wait. So he would like to join Liverpool. Uh, he's made that clear. He had a conversation with Jurgen Klopp before lockdown. It was a, a roughly a fortnight before the second leg of Liverpool's Champions League last 16 tie against Atletico Madrid at Anfield. Um, and he, he spoke personally to a couple of other clubs as well, um, Barcelona and Manchester United, and his representatives spoke to Chelsea. Uh, I'm told that suggestions that they've spoken to Juventus and Inter Milan are incorrect. He sounds like he's got his heart set on a move to Liverpool. Uh, if that doesn't happen, then yes, you're right. He, he would stay uh, 
at Leipzig. As things stand, we don't know if that will change. And, um, you know, I was curious that whether um, Leipzig would be pressing him for a move because this point in time is, is when they can get the highest amount of money for him in, and I'll go on to explain that in a moment um, and Raf can talk more about the Leipzig situation as well but I was told no then they're, they're not under great pressure if they do have any financial necessity to sell they'd probably do so through Deo Upamencano rather than Werner at this point in time and so you know it puts Liverpool in a really strong position however the big problem is that Liverpool are not planning to spend significantly this summer the extent of the potential of this crisis from a financial point of view is really quite stark and the sort of figures that we're going to be explaining are not at a level that Liverpool are prepared or in a position able to pay this summer and maybe in in windows beyond that as well this is really quite a you know devastating picture that Liverpool and many other clubs are looking at potentially playing behind closed doors for the rest of this season and and into next we don't know how long that's going to go on on for so Liverpool will be if they do make signings they'll be a much lower level probably younger players for very low fees compared to what we're looking at for someone like Timo Werner. Explain the figures then. Yeah so there's a release clause in Werner's contract that this summer um has an entry point of 47.5 million euros for negotiations. So it's at that point that Leipzig can come to the table. Before then, they can just sort of rebuff it and they can talk about a potential deal. And my information is that if a club does come to them at that sort of level, that they could probably strike a deal not too far off that, maybe around the 50 million mark, even if it ends up being announced as 60 million euros, because 60 million euros is the price at which they would have to sell. Now, it works a bit differently in that it's actually the player who pays the money to release himself from his contract he pays the money to the club to essentially make himself a free agent and that's why he can talk to clubs now um, and the buying club will give him the money to do so so it's it's a little bit uh, complicated in that uh, even if Leipzig accept an offer it doesn't really matter because the deal has to be struck with the player and that's why he's so intent on as things stand only being interested in Liverpool despite being very grateful and flattered by the admiration from the likes of United Chelsea Barcelona has huge respect for them and their players he identifies Liverpool through the coach Klopp through the teammates he knows a couple of them Naby Keita and Joel Matip likes the look of the environment the history etc etc there are certain facts at the other clubs that don't quite appeal to him. Those that know him say he's he's quite a quiet guy, uh, family orientated, and and the environment is hugely important to him. So that's the deal this summer. Next summer, the clause changes on a descending scale. So rather than an entry point and a maximum, it just becomes forty million euros. If that price comes in, then then he can move. And then in 2022, it becomes 25 million euros. Again, a straight clause, no entry level or or high level. It's just 25 million. And then, of course, he's a free agent in 2023. So, yes, he he would be willing to wait if if he needs to. If Liverpool came in this summer and, and had the sort of money that is demanded, then it will get done pretty swiftly, I'm sure. I think the likelihood is that he'll be staying at this rate because of the... um the crisis that the game is looking at. And just before we bring Raf in, that what's the latest, as you understand it, on Sancho? 
Yeah, so Sancho was expecting to move this summer. Um, there's still a, a very high chance that will happen. Um, there's an understanding between Sancho and Borussia Dortmund that if the right price arrives, that he can go. And there's no expectation that Dortmund wouldn't honour that. They're said to be very honourable in these sort of situations. They're looking for um, no less than 120 million euros. Some say to me no less than 130. And that certainly the figure that they want is around what they received um, or agreed for Usman Dembele, who joined Barcelona in the same summer, I think, that Jadon Sancho moved to Dortmund. He joined Barcelona. Um, and that was, I think it was sort of 105 million euros straight for, sort of up front and then add-ons of around 40 million so a deal worth up to 147 million euros and and they'd be looking for that ballpark for Sancho and they won't be compromising yes they could do with the money to invest in their squad and um, fill areas that they want to but if they don't receive it they would obviously be very happy to keep him for another year he's under contract until 2022 he's not agitating to move he's not going to cause a problem and it, if the deal is not right for him, he he won't go. There is confidence among his camp that an offer will arrive. They almost have no doubt about that. And Manchester United have been the most proactive on that front. They've been in regular contact and very recently. There have been recent conversations too with uh, Real Madrid. Also, there's contact with Liverpool, but I don't think they'll be going there this summer because of the reasons we've explained. Chelsea made contact in January, or there was contact with Chelsea in January. Marina Granovskaya, their director, but there's been no follow-up since, despite them having great admiration for him. Uh, the contact with Manchester United has been with Ed Woodward and Matt Judge, their executives. Barcelona, there's interest as well, but they're in very difficult financial situations. I mean, they always seem to make stuff happen, but I, I don't think that's probably realistic. Manchester City have been asked to be kept abreast of the situation. They, of course, sold him in 2017 and have a clause that allows them to match any offer that comes in. And so essentially giving them first refusal. But I don't think either party will be going back on that one. So it would appear that Manchester United are the, the front runners and some feel the only uh, option this summer. Others dispute that. Uh, and from his camp especially, they think they'll they'll get numerous clubs interested when it comes to the crunch. What's in interesting here is that he won't make any decision or at Dortmund too until the season is completely done and dusted. So this is a period of just waiting to see what happens, what interest comes forward. Let's bring Raf in. Is it is it good for the Bundesliga then? A, a positive, and I weigh any positive against the current situation. Everybody would prefer normality, but it, is there a positive that the the best young talent, the best talent in general, is unlikely to be cherry picked from the German league this summer? Well, I think we'll have to wait and see um, how likely that is. I think there is still a, st a strong probability, as we heard from from David, despite the situation that uh, Sancho will be sold if the right offer comes in. I think Werner, even in coronavirus um, prices, is actually an attractive proposition. And I'm not sure if, if Liverpool's stance is sort of the, f the final one. Uh, I think we'll have to wait and see if and when football does kick off again in the UK and the first tranche of next season's TV money comes in in July, I think, Teams might change their might change their view. What I can tell you about Leipzig's stance is that they are uh, not aware of any Liverpool uh, interest. Uh, what I mean by that is that, as David revealed, there is a chance of negotiating possibly, but so far uh, Liverpool haven't tried to do that. Uh, they are 
not really expecting, I think, to hear too much because I think that the price is such that if a party does agree a deal with um, with Werner personally, that they will just exercise the clause. And they're hoping to be, of course, to be informed uh, in time. But again, it's not really down to them. Uh, just a small correction on something that David said. In, in Germany, unlike in Spain, it's not the case that the player himself pays the money. It is actually the, the buying party, even for a release clause. Uh, apologies. No, no problem. Uh, the reason that Werner is, is allowed, in inverted commas, to talk to everyone is because clubs are not stupid they understand that that's what it amounts to if you have a release clause you basically can decide whether you leave or not and therefore no one will go to fifa if somebody is talking to uh, to a player with a release clause what i'd be interested in david and maybe you can share some some insight is we we have long struggled in germany to figure out what the exact clause are and you did a really fantastic job in actually breaking that down but do you also know what the the time frame for this is because usually these release clauses um, kicking in the summer and then they go away again uh, until the next summer the question is are they put in a way that is in recognition of this transfer window being probably a very different one or are they fixed let's say for the end of june or beginning of july at which point nobody might be in a position to do the deal just yet. Yeah, that's a great question. So ordinarily in the Werner clause, it begins at the start of every summer transfer window and expires every June the 15th and does not apply during the winter transfer windows. I've got a FIFA document that a lot of people have seen from a few weeks ago that talks about the potential changes to the transfer window, the market, etc. And I think one thing it points out within it is that you can negotiate the changing of dates on options and clauses quite freely, whereas the window itself um, and the contracts that end on the 30th of June take a little bit more manoeuvring, and that has happened quite in quite a relatively straightforward way. I think there's it's a bit more informal on clauses like this. If both parties agree, then they could probably just make an amendment in the contract and shift it on. And seeing as we're we're fast approaching the sort of uh, June month of June, and and then this clause would legally expire on june the 15th it seems like it would make sense to to move it back so yeah just to repeat the the werner clause starts at the beginning of every summer and it finishes every june the 15th uh, until 2023 when he'd become a free agent anyway when all of these discussions on transfers are, are taking place raf where do bayern munich sit in in what kind of power they might have this summer given their commercial reach. Bayern have been very bullish in all of this. Um, of course, careful not to underplay the crisis because they needed the German authorities to agree for football to come back so they couldn't be seen as being completely unaffected. But they are reasonably confident that uh, football, well, it has now come back, That, but it also there is, is staying around and that the losses that they will have will be shall we say, not too dramatic. Of course, um, there is TV tickets, there is sponsorship and, and all these connected things. But as far as, as long as they can put on the actual games, uh, games and they are confident more than, more than ever that they can do so, it shouldn't be a total, a total loss. Uh, and of course, they're trying to use this crisis uh, to their advantage. Uh, we've seen a lot of talk about them saying, well, we believe that um, prices will go down. That's a nice thing to say if you're trying to buy a player. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> Dortmund, I think, are telling you something very different. They're saying, well, the value at the very top, of course, will hold. We're sure of that. So um, with Bayern and Leroy Sané, I think the deal is, is, moving, is moving fairly close and that would tick a major box for Bayern. They're still in the market for a right back. Uh, there's been talks with uh, Dest of uh, Ajax to see if they can uh, get him. And I think that might be it for them uh, this summer. And it might mean that Kai Havertz, who is also a long-term target for them, will have to wait because he would certainly command, even in this market, a 100 million euro plus price tag. And I don't think Bayern necessarily want to spend that kind of money this summer. But there are, if you want to talk about Sancho and Werner briefly, they are not really, I think, in a position to to go for either of them. Sancho is is not realistic for financial reasons and also they have another target. And with Werner, they actually had an agreement in place last summer and then Werner expected Bayern to make some kind of offer for Leipzig to see if he can leave one year early, he had one year left on his contract. But Bayern actually never came back and I think expected him to run down his contract, at which point he decided that he wasn't really universally treasured uh, and valued enough. And basically told him that he's not gonna he's not gonna move. So they don't seem to be in the running anymore for him. Just a little add on Sancho, um, whether this is surprising or, or just completely normal, there have been no talks yet about him staying. So the expectation was that the move would take place this summer. It still might happen, and they've not actually sat down and, and had discussions about the alternative. And I think that shows more that they're re- all relaxed about the situation and have respect and, and quite a lot of trust for each other, the two sides, despite some of the incidents that have gone before. On um, Sane, and, and Raf will know better than me on this, a couple of people I've spoken to have said that the club side won't be a particularly big deal and that they'll come to an agreement on a price if... Uh, if if and when it comes to that, the bigger issue is Bayern not wanting to deal with his new agent, um, Fali Ramadani, who's been quite heavily in the news recently um, and also has dealt with Bayern in the past. But for various reasons, they're not keen to do business with him on this occasion and that could be causing a little bit of a problem. Am I along the right lines there, Raf, or is that completely untrue? No, I think you 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 are right um, that they weren't happy when Sane changed his um, his representation. They had agreed uh, a deal down to the the various parts of the commissions with with his previous agent, and were very upset that his new agents came in and said things like, "Well, everything has to be renegotiated. We're talking now to all, everyone else." But I think, as it often happens, you lie you lie down with the devil when you have to, and um, I think in this case. Bayern have been uh, quite flexible to the point where they now believe that a deal with an agreement with with Sané and by extension with his agents is is basically basically done and it's down to finding that uh, agreement with City so this is a deal I think that's moving very very close and to explain to people the um previous agents were the David Beckham group and I think there was a feeling that Beckham with his multiple interests was in in contact regularly but maybe not sort of proactive and and doing enough on the sort of business side for Sane and so he made this move and as I heard it Bayern were actually staggered by the wage demand that came back to them from from the new representation but perhaps as Raf suggests that if 
they need to get the deal done, they will get it done. Let's move it on to what actually happened at the weekend. How, how have uh, what's been the reaction in Germany? today uh both amongst fans the public the media as to how the weekend went Raf. well first of all i think the weekend went better than anyone could have really uh, had hoped for i think the bundesliga were very nervous that on friday night you know suddenly 10 people will test positives and half the fixtures are off and then you you look completely embarrassed on the world stage and don't have the games and uh, after telling everybody how stringent your concept is you can't you can't actually return to the pitch so the fact that they had all games uh, being played with uh, really minimum fuss, um, I think it's given everyone a lot of encouragement that this can now continue. Uh, there is a, a weakness, if you will, in the concept because after this um, one-week, ten-day quarantine for the clubs, they all the players all now go back to their families, and of course, it only takes uh, a child or a partner to, you know go to the wrong restaurant because they're open again in Germany and um, you might get a positive test and then we'll have to maybe quarantine the team again as it happened with Dinamo Dresden so it will become it will remain a uh, a risky endeavor to a certain extent but I think fans they fall into two categories I think the hardcore fans you know the the ultras the organized fan groups they they don't approve of of uh, games behind closed doors they would have rather seen Everybody take a huge pay cut and wait this out and only return when everybody can actually enjoy football as we're used to it. Um, that was not an option uh, for the Bundesliga. And I think a lot of ordinary fans, you know, armchair fans, etc., they are just happy that something is back on television. Um, the ratings went through the roof, um, helped by the fact that uh, some of it was free to air as a courtesy uh, by uh, the local rights holders, Sky Germany. But, of course, with all the imperfections of of the product if you will and the very diminished spectacle i think still many people welcome this as the return of some version of football and as a distraction after eight weeks of uh, coronavirus back to back uh, on on german screens so i think it was a a qualified success i would say and um, we'll have to see if they can continue but getting one out of the nine match days out of the way I think is a is a huge relief and will give give everybody a bit of confidence that this can be pulled off and seen through till the end. Raf, why none of the arguments and sort of bickering and controversies around testing and isolation that we're seeing in in England? I was reading a piece by Andy Naylor on The Athletic this morning uh, with a player in Germany who's explaining all the procedures very straightforward um players and staff adhering to everything the hotels the coach the face masks the dressing room the food the pitch and they're getting it done and pretty smoothly in England it it kind of feels the the opposite at this stage I I know we're a little bit behind I think it just reflects Germany's capacities as a country to deal with the with the crisis uh David they've had much more capacity when it comes to testing from the from the the get-go because of the infrastructure being there some of the companies producing those big testing uh, machines for the labs are based in germany so it was fairly easy for them to ramp up um, capacity Um, there was still some discussion and and some 
criticism about you know certain people in certain areas not being able to get tested as easily as the Bundesliga who've just done a deal with five labs and just administer um, uh, the test themselves and get uh, and pay them and get them back very very quickly if you're working in a in a care home um, you know not everyone has had the same kind of access that they they would have liked to but the Bundesliga have made the argument which I think is is a fairly persuasive one that they are only responsible for the people that they employ. They can't pay for the tests for everyone. You know, people in in a care home should be paid by either the authorities or by the care home owners to have the test. That is in their duty, and nothing that the Bundesliga do or don't do really has any material impact on that. So we haven't seen that much controversy about that. I think it's been more of a um, sort of a moral case about football rushing back or um, putting the needs of television above the those of the fans. But Christoph Biermann, uh, who is my guest in the Steilcast pod, if you allow me a bit of cross-promotion. Absolutely, um, absolutely. He um, made a really interesting point. He said what, what sounded very futuristic four weeks ago when those, or three weeks ago when those um, permission, permission was granted, is now actually at a point where football seems more stringent and almost behind the curve in Germany as pubs are open again, uh-huh. as restaurants are open, as shops are open, as you can even go to swimming pools and get your hair cut. And then you see footballers uh, being ultra strict and not even sitting next to each other with their masks on on the substitute bench. It, it almost feels now that football is trying extra hard to do things that the rest of society have, have I don't want to say stopped doing, but are already a lot more relaxed about. So... The situation, I think, is still very, very different uh, than the one in the UK, where I think we're still thinking of football coming back as this um, very irresponsible and and uh, and sort of uh, yeah um, untoward kind of endeavour that that doesn't feel right for the moment. But my guess is, uh, just um, having seen the situation play out in Germany, that if now, for example, there would be a decision made that football can come back in the UK on the 19th of June, by the time 19th of June actually arrives, it won't feel nearly as strange and weird as it does maybe now in our imagination. What what will be interesting though there, Raf, is it is if that uh, thought about football in Germany being a little bit behind everywhere else and being ultra cautious is if you know some fans start to think, well, hang on a minute, if I can get my hair cut and can go to a swimming pool... Why can't I wait outside the ground for the team bus to arrive? Which didn't happen at all this weekend, we're led to believe. Fans definitely stayed away. But it'll be interesting to see if the freedom elsewhere leads them to behavioural changes about football. That might happen further down the line. But so far, the um, all the indications are that football fans, um, for various reasons, are perhaps even more aware of the social distancing rules and have been very, very well behaved. Uh, again, Christoph relayed a story about people watching the Union Berlin game in a in a bar, in a sports bar in Berlin, only 28 allowed capacity. And uh, according to somebody who was there, it was all very quiet as people were kind of extra careful not to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been construed as uh, somehow violating the, the social distancing rules. So I think things might change. I think, you know, fans might become more curious and more relaxed. But I think the clubs have done a very good job explaining to them, A, why it is necessary to play at the moment, even though fans are not allowed, and B, making sure that fans don't get any 
um, any ideas about congregating. It has to be said, and I think it, it cannot be said often enough, that the the organized fans in Germany have been one of the most responsible and helpful uh, groups of society during the coronavirus crisis. A lot of them have volunteered for hospitals, have donated money, have tried everything possible to, to do their bit um, to help in the situation. And they'd really be the very last group that you'd expect to uh, flout those rules, either to, to make a point or to just mindlessly kind of celebrate something. And it, it just doesn't seem to be in, on the agenda at all. Uh, just a final one. Were there, were there any um, were there any abnormalities? Were there any results that stood out where you thought, I tell you what, if this had been in normal situations with a crowd and home support and this, that, and the other, that might not have happened. I'm obviously sort of asking that question against the backdrop of continuing Premier League arguments about neutral venues, home and away, etc. Yeah, I mean, we have seen um, home advantage disappear uh, in terms of the results. I think there was only one home win, if I, I think I'm right in saying. But that is only on the basis of eight Bundesliga games. I'd have to look again for Bundesliga 2, how that play out, how that played out. I think it needs a bit more um, statistical evidence to, to see if that is really true. Having talked to a few officials for a piece that I wrote on Monday for The, uh, the Athletic, uh, the feeling from the officials is that home advantage really is no longer a factor. Um, yes, you might be um, happy because you didn't have to spend the night in a hotel and you can take your own car to the game if you want as a, as a footballer um, or, you know, where, you know, the ins and outs of the stadium a little bit better than your position. But really, um, it reduces the, the home advantage from a few low percentage points to almost neg negligible ones. So, I think it's neither here nor there. I think the reason why home advantage and, and these things were not changed in Germany to neutral grounds is more to do with the logistical problems of having everybody play neutral grounds where you have 36 teams to move around Germany constantly because it's Bundesliga 1 and 2, not just the Premier League. And the actual benefit or disadvantage, I think, is is neither here nor there. So it, I don't think that um, judging from the first first few games back you can really say it has had any any sizable impact one way or the other raf thank you very much for coming on cheers appreciate Raph. it you're very welcome guys bye bye and, and the starcast podcast you can uh, you can download now there you go another plug for you thank I you i don't think you pronounced it properly no i know i didn't it's okay <laughs> it's okay the sentiment's there isn't it so that's what's happening in Germany. But what about the Premier League, the EFL and also the Scottish Premiership? Uh, we'll start with the English top flight uh, with all 20 clubs voting unanimously today to go ahead with the phase one return to training protocols. It essentially means that subject to the testing which was taking place Sunday, Monday and in the case of one club, I think Tuesday, they'll get back onto the training field in very small groups, social distancing remaining in force. But this is the first step, a baby step back towards Premier League action returning. And delighted to be joined by the athletic correspondent Matt Slater to talk us through this a little bit more because he has been on a call with the Premier League's chief executive, Richard Masters. Matt, just bring us up to date with the headline news from the Premier League uh, as we stand. Yeah, it's quite a constructive day, all things considered. You know, another day, another meeting, but I feel like we are edging <laughs> forward. You know, I think there's a little bit of momentum now. Obviously, you know, the, the situation in Germany, 
uh, helped, and they and they acknowledged that. They they said it was very welcome, and they they took positives from that. In terms of where the Premier League is at, well, it's a it's a bit like the coronavirus. We're, we're you know we're a few weeks behind Germany, aren't we? Um, so what they've agreed today is to proceed with the plan, and that's socially distanced small group training. You've already said that they started the testing. Once they get those results back, and we're going to hopefully get some of them tomorrow afternoon, Tuesday afternoon. They're not going to name names, but there will be positives. We know that. We know that from from what we saw in Germany and, and elsewhere. But because they're socially distanced at the moment, they they only have to isolate themselves at home and their families. It doesn't it doesn't shut anything down at this stage. And you know what is going to happen is they're going to drive to training on their own. There'll be no carpooling. They'll be arriving in their kit. Uh, they'll be parking apart from each other. They won't be all congregating and, and having a chat before and cups of tea and what have you. They'll be, if they want to go in the gym, they'll have to go in kind of separately and they'll have to wipe the equipment down. 75 minutes maximum of training. As I say, small groups. That will be monitored. I thought it was quite interesting. The Premier League said that they, they can ask for GPS data if, if need be to make sure that nobody is, is, is training for 80 minutes, 90 minutes, 95 and eventually they'll be doing no notice testing to make sure to monitor because this could be the new normal. This could be mm. a year of this. So, yeah, the players are going to have to, you know, get with the program. They'll be going back to their cars, driving home. Any food or drink for them will be left by their cars. So that's what we've signed up for. That's quite a lot to take in. You know, mm. we've never seen anything like this before. And then suddenly, as of this week, it, it's going to be common practice across the Premier League. You mentioned the 75 minutes of training there. I think mm. the Premier League actually proposed 60 minutes initially, but it was the clubs who wanted a little bit more time. And you could ask what they'll be filling that time with, given that there's so little that they can do within those realms for the first seven days, I think it is phase one, before they move on potentially to contact. As such, is it quite cute of the Premier League to just present this to everybody, the clubs, the players, the managers in baby steps so that it doesn't potentially sort of not, fr yes. I don't want to say frighten people <laughs> off, but if you present the return of football matches full training immediately, you are definitely going to get players and coaches saying, no, no, that's not for me. But just introducing it in, in little granules by saying, look, just come back to training and, and do, and they did get a unanimous vote as a result of that seems like quite an intelligent sort of course of action oh absolutely i think you know that is very much the sensible way to go here we've seen from the weekend that they still have a list well quite a lot of persuading to do don't they um guys like troy Deeney, raheem sterling steve bruce lots of lots of players are clearly not 100 percent on board they're not comfortable with where the game is at where the country's at so yeah look as you as i think you put it baby steps the premier league um would would agree with that they acknowledge they've got to do more talking to players and managers and this consultation will continue they've already i think they said the next seven to ten days we'll be talking more about step two which is as you say contact training you're right they want to they want to give the clubs enough time there's still a bit of discussion about whether three weeks is enough so june 12th or does it have to be four weeks june 19th there'll be lots of conversations i think about how many muscle injuries there were in the bundesliga this weekend Obviously, we know we're going to go into a truncated schedule, lots of games, so you know the players will be very mindful of that. Um, and I think there's still quite you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions. I mean, it came up in the call, the issue around um, BME risk, 
um, whether whether you know black Asian minority ethnic um, people are more susceptible to this and whether they get it worse. And I think you know, we are learning a lot more about that. So the Premier League, again, have to take extra advice on that. They have to do a lot more conversations about that. And that's good. Very responsible. And, I, and I, you know, I just think that um, if this is going to be the new normal, let's, let's not rush. Let's 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 do this properly. And I, and I you know, I, 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 I was heartened by what I heard today, actually. You mentioned up to a year. Was that mm. touched upon today? Because I think some people listening will be quite shocked to hear the length of time this kind of practice could be going on for. That's um, certainly kind of raised eyebrows figuratively on, on, on a Zoom call. Um, <laughs> you know, it, got me, it got me sort of circling and underlining it in my notes. Anyway, that was from um, Dr. Mark Gillette. And now he said it. And what was interesting about well, it's interesting that he said it because he is on the working group with the government. He's talking to the other doctors from other sports. He has that kind of direct link to Public Health England. And, and I think he's just acknowledging that, you know, despite what we might want to happen in terms of a vaccine or a cure, you know, the expert advice and, and I think that, you know, the common sense approach here is it's at least six months off. More like a year. You know, that's how long it takes for vaccines to be properly tested and distributed enough of us to have had it. So, you know, we're very, very uh, rightly uh, anxious about second waves, third waves. We know this this lockdown could be reversed. We could be in a bit of a phase here where you relax it and then you then you then you tighten it up again. So. If if look. The only safe way to, to, to stop this is to sort of lock our doors and never leave, never leave our houses. We, we know that's not practical. We know that's, you know that's just not going to work for the economy, for mental health, for all, all manner of reasons. So football as an industry has to crack on. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with these conversations. There's nothing wrong with football saying we have an obligation to, to think of a workaround. That is what this is underlying message that i get from from hearing your explanation is that we are quite away from from football here we are just very much at the start of the process and, and scenes we saw in germany uh, over the weekend are not going to be here for for a while yet i think the 12th of june was the uh, initial plan and we've had nothing to suggest it will go beyond that for certain but i think mm. richard masters the premier league chief executive today said there might be some flexibility and i, I think we could all see that sort of being pushed back uh, somewhat so we better get patient we better get used to more meetings there seem as many seems to be as many meetings as football matches um it, well when the season was going on there seem there's now sort of meetings left right and center one of which was on friday for league 2 and and their clubs voted to curtail the season um and the suggestion is that league 1 clubs might well follow this week so first of all league 2 what's the fallout from friday's vote to cut the season short well, that's that's a good question. So there were two meetings on Friday, weren't there? There was League One first. They had a go at addressing all of this and, and didn't get unanimity. They, you know, they they basically bickered, um, self interest all over the place. League Two was next, and I just think the the position in League Two is different in that um, look, they haven't got as much money. Um, I think the the desire for certainty, the desire to end this season. Um, to stop the stop the hurt in terms of um, you know the costs was much greater. There, there were there were fewer 
kind of fraught issues as well. And I'll get onto that with League One. The the promotion places, the playoff picture was much clearer. Um, so I'm not saying it was easy, but it went much better. And and sources I've spoken to were on the call um, talked about it being you know the, the the best display of unanimity we've seen in football since the crisis started. And there were a number of um, you know, kind of magnanimous gestures in a way. Um, Port Vale and, and Bradford, who who still very much, you know, if, if we were going to finish the season, would have a, a really good shout at the playoffs, voted to end the season. You know, they vote, they, they saw the bigger picture, uh, and you know, they you know they've said, okay, look, let's let's end the season. And and then the only real debates were well, there were kind of two really, I guess. Um, and this was an indicative vote. This is really important. So this is just what the League Two clubs decided. That is the best for League Two, and we will. Mm-hmm. That needs to be ratified, and that needs to be a, subject to a vote of EFL clubs, and the Championship clubs have to vote for it as well, because that's just the way all EFL rule changes are, are done. So they said, okay, end the season. We'll do points per game, straight points per game, not weighted points per game, as had been, you know, widely discussed, and, and many thought that was a fair way of doing it, where you give um, more value to unplayed home games because you, you know, you do better at home than you do away. Um, they went, no, no, we're just going to go straight points per game. So it's based on what the clubs have achieved so far this season. So there's there's almost no uh, predictive element to it. Um, and that, that really just saw one significant change, which was um, Swindon jump over crew to become champions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was that was pretty much it. So, so that was that was interesting. Everyone was u- unanimous on that. There was there was not unanimity though on on the last bit, which I think is going to be the only kind of element of controversy from the League Two decision. And that is, they said, well, look, on points per game, let's let's not relegate anyone. So let's not relegate last placed Stevenage. Now, um, as I said, this is subject to EFL wide approval and FA ratification. I, I don't think either of those two things are going to happen in in that particular instance for a few reasons one the championship clubs were immediately on the phone to the fl board saying what are you doing do not give the premier league any excuse not to relegate this season um you know so that's and the fa have already given a pretty clear signal they want to see promotion and relegation through the pyramid the national league will be thinking hold on a minute we've got two perfectly good teams that would like to come up what are you doing uh, we know that the EFL is one team light this season because of Berry, so one team will be coming up. But that's not—is that fair? You know, two teams come up normally. So I think there's there's still some talking to do about that vote. Now I think one of the reasons it perhaps went through pretty quickly is it might not be Stevenage. It it, it it's very very possible, and I would say having read the most recent judgment. Um, into their most recent transgression. It, it could be Maxfield Town, who've had a terrible time this year with not paying their players and not fulfilling fixtures. I, I, I wonder if they could lose some more points this season. League One, are you expecting a similar outcome? Um, no. <laughs> well, who knows? League One's a mess. <laughs> I mean, you know, all those things I just said about people being magnanimous, there doesn't seem to be any of that at the moment, League One. It is, it is... It is tight, though. You know, you've got two teams adrift at the bottom, Southend and Bolton, and then it then the relegation pitch is really complicated. You've got Tranmere in there at the moment. You know, Tranmere are well run. Mark Palios is a, is a is a bright guy. You know, a clear thinker. But he's you know he's 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 fighting for for his club's um, place in League One. He doesn't want to be relegated in points per game, weighted points per game. You name it. So there's an argument at the bottom. The bigger argument is around the playoffs. 
Coventry are clear at the top. Most no one's really moaning about them. Rotherham a second, but they're not. You know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be nailed down. And then you've got seven, eight teams jostling um, to to try and get into the playoffs. You know, a point between them, points per game massively changes things. Wickham go from outside of the playoffs to third. There are all kinds of you know switches whether you do weighted or unweighted points per game. So it's really complicated. And 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 I'm you know here's the real thing: three of the biggest teams in that league, Sunderland. Peterborough and Ipswich are outside of the of the playoff picture and are, and are very, very, very keen to play and had organised a little rebel alliance of six of them saying, we want to go to the end, like the Premier League. The rest of the league are thinking, hold on a minute, we can't afford £140,000 worth of testing, let alone the, the player contracts, the extra cleaning. So League One is is a, a real mess. Honestly, it's, 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 you know, I don't know how they're going to sort it because it... They want the same method for all three divisions. Really, they want the same method for for you know football. And I and I am not seeing an easy way out of that one at the moment. But it doesn't get any clearer in the championship because I've heard of four or five clubs who are absolutely adamant that the season should be cancelled, and then m- many of the other clubs uh, believe no, we've got to play it until the end. Um, so and then. If they don't, then, as you pointed out, the Premier League will turn around and, and you know, relegation uh, might not happen in that division as well. So mm. presumably we'll see some movement in the Championship this week. Yeah, apparently. I think there's a bit more talking to do there because, you know, the Championship are, are, are so wedded to what the Premier League does. Um, they're bigger clubs, so there's more at stake. You know, they would lose more TV money. They get 80% of the central distribution of EFL TV money. Um, they've got more season ticket holders, so the, the rebate would be bigger. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, they're wealthier clubs. I mean, they're you know they're they're sort of dis- disasters as well in terms of how much money they lose, but they have more income. Um, and you know, they are so terrified of the Premier League saying, no, we're not really getting anyone. I mean, look, that, that would cause a massive row within the game and the FA has already said it wouldn't be happy about that. But but that is what's driving and motivating many people there. Um, so, you know, who knows? You know, League One Championship still, still loads, loads to be resolved. And just quickly before we move it on, somebody at a championship club was saying to me today that they fear they won't be able to afford the testing. And I said, well, it might mm. then come down to whether the testing is more expensive than the cost of a potential rebate to the broadcasters and the feeling at their club I don't know if this is right or wrong that the testing could cost them more than the money they would owe to broadcasters so they would (laughs) rather pay the broadcasters and cancel the season than pay for the testing look I've I've heard this as well I heard it in League One and someone was sort of pointing out to me that for let's say an Ipswich or a Peterborough or Sunderland who are kind of a championship sized club it, it was the other way around in that the, the playing on was cheaper. You know, the, the rebates yep. would be more for them. But that but those are the three biggest, you know, three of the biggest clubs in that in that division. It's 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 similar in, in, in the championship. You know, for a certain a certain club at a certain stage, it's not just the cost of testing, which is I think the EFL have it's about 140 grand that the EFL would do centrally, but then take back from you, you know, claw back from you in their in your central mm. distributions over in the future. It's and every club will have a slightly different equation. You know, some clubs I've spoken to have 16, 17, 18 players out of contract. Some only have half a dozen. You know, so what sort of team are you going to be playing in June and July? How many of those guys are you going to, you know, try and give extended contracts to? You know, um, it's the cleaning costs. It's just the logistical headache of it. You know, are, are you as a club set up to do 
the type of thing we were talking about the uh, you know 10 15 minutes ago about the training you know can you can you do that can you physically do that so every club has a different set of circumstances and it's just really hard the EFL is a very broad church well no clarity on the English front but there is some on the Scottish front with the SPL season being ended with places decided on average points per game which was decided by last month's resolution it means that Celtic are champions and Hearts have been relegated Rangers finish second and will go into the Europa League qualifying stages again Jordan Campbell is the athletic Scottish football writer he's with us now Jordan was it a surprise I don't think it was a surprise I think um, no. you know I think everybody knew for the last month that this was eventually going to be the outcome um, I think there's been a realization across across the divisions that you know football just isn't going to be completed um, the football season is not going to be completed in Scotland um, you've obviously got to take into account that there's a larger um, diversion in terms of um, in terms of finances and, and what they've got available from the Premiership down to League two. Um, so I think since last last month's resolution, I think most of the most of the disagreements have been about the process rather than the outcome. Um, I think teams last month were some were maybe upset that you know they had gone so early to make the decision when people still were looking for clarity and were still trying to see how um, how much this virus would actually affect the football season. But I think in recent weeks there's been a, a realization that it's just not going to happen because you've got eight or nine games to be completed and um, the current guidance from the Scottish Government is that football is banned in Scotland until June the 10th and then also in the briefing papers um, given to uh, given to teams um, it said in one of the notes that they were advising after consulting the teams and the medical um, experts that they, they recommended six weeks um, full team training before the leagues could actually resume so that would then take you up to you're talking the last week of July and then the Betfred Cup group stages are starting, they're meant to start in the mid-July, mid and then you've got the league starting at the start of August. So Scottish football's also in the predicament where they've got to keep the, the broadcasters happy. Um, there's, all, there's been a lot of talk about Rangers dossier, which claimed that the £10 million liability to, to broadcasters and, and sponsors um, would be triggered um, from this resolution. So it, it remains to be seen what will happen with that. There's also been claims that, you know, um, the SPFL could potentially... Uh, could potentially limit some of the damages by offering Sky um, uh, the promotion deal for the sponsorship deal for the for the leagues ne for the next five years. Um, but then that brings into question how you satisfy BT if there is indeed a liability. Um, so I think the, all of these questions are now are now what's going to be raised um, now that the resolutions passed. But I don't think it was a surprise. I think last couple of weeks it's been pretty clear that this was a direction of travel. So I said there was a lot of clarity, but clearly from, from what you've explained there, there's still a lot to sort out. What were the key points from the SPFL chairman Murdoch McLennan's uh, statement today? Well, I think obviously we're stressing the fact that how he and Doncaster, Neil Doncaster, the chief executive, obviously stressed just how challenging it's going to be to actually get games played again in Scotland, especially in front of crowds, because League One and League Two teams have no interest in playing behind closed doors because it offers them no financial uh, revenue. But obviously Hearts today as well, um, have came out and you know said that they're going to try and revive the league reconstruction talks. Um, you know that the initial task force set up was dissolved after twenty four days without even get reaching a vote when six teams in the Premiership, I you know basically rejected the notion out of hand. Um, and a lot of clubs that I've spoken to in the lower leagues, there's just not an appetite, um, especially when you take into account the the Highland League winners and the Lowland League winners are are also threatening legal action um, when it comes to the pyramid system being blocked. Uh, so I think 
One of the other key things that Murdoch McLaren and Doncaster mentioned in the statement today was the, the £7 million fees that would now be released uh, to the Premiership clubs because I think around about 80% of the, the fees um, in the SPFL go towards the top division. So, you know, that's a big boost for these clubs. Um, but again, that, that was one of the central arguments about the initial resolution was whether these payments should have been tied to the league placings and how to decide it. So I don't think many people actually have a problem um, with the way this is decided. It seems the, the fairest way, but um, I think the league fees were, were one of the major the major bones of contention. So now that they've been paid, you, you'd imagine that would help clubs over the next few months um, try and put plans in place to, uh, to, to prepare themselves for football returning. As with everything in life, almost it seems to come down to money. And actually, uh, quite a few weeks ago, a contact of mine in in uh, Scotland who works in the SPL was saying to me that uh, the likelihood is this season's going to be called because we don't rely on television money nearly as much as the Premier League, for example. And Matt, if I bring you back in here, um, this decision will will clearly have been noted by the Premier League, by the EFL. What will they think of it? Um, that's a good question. I, I I'm not sure the Premier League. I mean, this I don't mean to sound rude. I I'm not being rude. I I really, they they just I don't think they will take. I I just think they'll they'll say, well, that's great for Scotland. That's fine. Our circumstances are really different. You know, we have. Um, a very different set of relationships with broadcasters where, you know, we have, you know, our, our revenue is much bigger. We're a much more kind of global uh, league. Um, and they will be, you know, confident, more confident, I think, that they can follow what the Bundesliga are doing. You know, that that's their peer group, the Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A. I think you know, it's interesting that, that, you know, the French league, um, you know, called called an early, called it off early. Um, you know, for very similar circumstances, similar reasons as the Scottish, really, and that their government had given you know a pretty pretty clear um, guidance on, on on when they were going to let elite sport back, and that just that just changed the equation. You know, if you the difference is the, the English government has said, you know, June first. There's you know there's a green light if if you can do it if you can do it safely, go for it. Um, you know, it wasn't quite the same north of the border. And as, a, as we've talked about, the finances are very different. Quick final word from you, Jordan. Um, pretty impressive achievement from Celtic, of course. We haven't mentioned that yet. Yeah, of course. I mean, nine consecutive league titles is, is no, uh, no easy feat. Um, obviously, I think there's going to be a lot of debate on, on both sides of the, the argument. Rangers fans will say there's going to be an asterisk next to it and Celtic <laughs> fans will say, well, we were 13 points clear anyway. Um, so, you know, I don't think you're ever going to get a, a neutral opinion from either fan base. Jordan, Matt, thank you very much indeed. And you can read more from both of them on The Athletic. that's it thank you very much for listening don't forget now is a great time to subscribe to The Athletic and take advantage of this 90 day free trial so just go to uh, theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman and we'll be back next week bye